Hi there, Carling here. Whether this is your first episode of this podcast you're listening to, or you're working backwards from the more recent ones, these earliest episodes require a bit of patience, humor, and understanding. These episodes are a time machine back to when I had no idea what I was doing in editing, sound quality, or production. And there were two hosts. We were full of passion, laughter, and a whole lot of trial and error. But here's the thing. These episodes are the essence of my humble beginnings, and I'm hoping that's part of the charm. The raw authenticity that shaped the foundation of this podcast. Although this podcast has evolved and my interview skills and audio quality have vastly improved, the heart and soul of these episodes remain timeless. The stories I shared back then, they still hold significance and are worth hearing. These episodes make me appreciate how far I've come, so... Thank you in advance for your patience and enjoy. Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay and I'm joined by my co-host and real life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a lighthearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a diehard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. He knelt down in front of me and then he just, he like basically blurted out like we've found a brain tumor. Michelle. Yes, Carling. Hi. Hey, girl. Oh, hold on. I'm just, I'm a mess. Oh, dear. Okay. Hey, you know what? Domino's just texted me, and I find that very rude. Well, it's dinner time on a Sunday. I think it's brilliant marketing. I know. That's why I'm annoyed. Are you going to order your kids pizza for supper? <sighs> Probably. <laughs> you win again, Domino's. How are right. you? Uh, I'm grumpy today. How are you? Yeah, I'm not, but... <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, I'm sorry that you're grumpy. This week is the week before the anniversary of Anthony passing. Mm-hmm. And I... Do you not want to talk? <laughs> I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, but you just gave me a look like, you better shut your mouth. Mm-hmm. No. Um, I don't like anniversary. I've heard right. it called Thaniversary. Than? Like, I don't know what that means, but on Kim Brown's podcast, okay. she talks about Nicole Brown Simpson. Mm-hmm. They call it a Thaniversary. I don't understand. Well, I don't either, but it's Maybe like, it sounds better than I've a already, deadiversary. He goneversary. <laughs> Um, Memorial Day? Memorial. No, that's like a real holiday. It's <laughs> like an actual holiday. <laughs> okay, well. Anyways, it is two years since Anthony died. Yeah. Um, Friday will be two years. Yes. And I think the week before any of these big days. Yeah. Um, suck. Yeah, they're really hard. And um, like your kiddos feel it and yep. you feel it. Yeah. And it's like such a subconscious thing. Like we don't even know why like we're grumpy or the kids are snapping at each other or they're fighting and it's like obviously it's because there's this like dark cloud over all of us and yeah 
I keep thinking about like the last weekend that we had together and how like wonderful it was, but then that just like, yeah, it just sucks. It sucks. It's hard. And it's been two years, but it feels like a lifetime ago and it feels like it happened yesterday and yeah. the second year is worse somehow. Like it's just yeah, a terrible feeling. I just wish I could like grab myself by the shoulders and like slap myself in the face and be like, yeah enough like i'm willing to try do it <laughs> right now <laughs> insert slapping noise <sighs> it's just like i want to clean i want to organize i want to purge i want like all these things but i i can't yeah because my brain's not letting me and then i give get yourself grace what? What grace you, what did you tell me my to god give well earlier? this morning i texted you and told you to give yourself grave <laughs> and then i sent the ooh emoji we all know which one that is Foot like, you know what? Mouth. This doesn't sound so bad. <sighs> oh my god! All I want is like, I told you this before that my friend said that if she ate garlic, she would be in a coma, like a one week coma. Yeah. And I was like, sign me up for that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just one week. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. I'm literally incapacitated, yeah. and nobody, mm-hmm. I can't do anything for anybody. But all that would happen is that. Everything would just get piled up on. No, because and when I would I woke do it. Up, right, it would be worse. You'd wake up and your kids would be like, "Mom, God, yeah, finally, seriously, Mom, God, yeah." No, <laughs> I'd move in, take over. You'd have the week. Don't tempt me all I'm <laughs> to <say>. eat garlic. <laughs> You're just gonna eat a bunch of garlic and be like, "Damn it, it didn't work." <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry. Sorry, it's just crappy. Yeah, it is really crappy, but I think that's what well, not that's not what people listen to our podcast for, but like they listen for the real and You're the true. You're welcome and, everybody. <laughs> you know, like we talk about our lives and we get a lot of really good feedback that people appreciate it. So It's just it's like the real, the raw, like this is what it is. This is yeah. not sugar-coated. This is a mother of five children. Yeah. Whose husband died who literally has like nothing left in me to yeah give yeah happy tuesday (laughs) (laughs) well um how are you (laughs) well i feel like it's not appropriate to talk about me because i feel flipping fantastic i'm doing okay i am both great i can love you despite your flaws (laughs) of happiness (laughs) i am both great but also overwhelmed yeah so Lindy is in Saskatchewan taking some time, which is great. I support it. Um, but as with all breakups, it's hard. And we're starting to talk about, you know, like splitting assets and animals. And for those who are just tuning in, we have five cats and five dogs. And that's all I can say or else I'll start crying. Yeah. So on the flip side, though, I'm also dating. Mm-hmm. And she is wonderful. Would you even call it dating? It's not dating. <laughs> when it, we're in a we're in a lesbian relationship. Yeah, you're not like casually dating. Right. We're not seeing each other. We're date. We're in a relationship. Right. I feel like we just said three different things, and they're all kind of the same. <laughs> no, dating is like. Right, like maybe I'll see you in next yeah, weekend and yeah. maybe we'll catch a, a show or something. And This is not what that is. Well, I mean, in true lesbian fashion, 
we have a lot of feelings for each other. It's a little much. It's a lot. (laughs) And I really like it. But I support you. And yeah, I don't know. She's great. (laughs) And I know she listens, so now I feel like embarrassed. That is embarrassing. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Uh, (laughs) We love you. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I met her kids last weekend. Mm -hmm. She has two kids, and we went to the zoo, and I think it was great. Yeah. Her daughter likes my hair, so I think I'm in. in. We watched a movie at uh, her house, and I brought snacks because I'm not above buying their no. love if you didn't bring snacks like my yeah my kids would be like no goodbye. get out yeah yeah um i think that the viewers might feel like my son felt when i told him because he his first response was like uh it's been like four days <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. then i had to explain to him that it it hasn't just been four days yeah yeah so we we didn't tell michelle's kids that lindy and i broke up um you know because there wasn't really a rush to tell them and nothing has changed for their relationship with either one of us, mm-hmm. and we all still love them and are committed to caring for them. Um, but then, you know, we thought, okay, it's probably time because yeah. I'm dating and, you know, maybe Lindy's moving and all these things. Yeah. So when so we told them and they were, you know, a little upset, but they understood. And then literally four days later, you're yeah. like, so Auntie Carling has a girlfriend. <laughs> and he was very judgmental I about know. that. <laughs> Listen, sir, mind Typical your business. white Man. <laughs> All up in your business. Um, I did want to say that I have a little list here. Yesterday, mm-hmm. so for us tomorrow, but for everybody listening yesterday. Whoa. March 8th. Time does mean, time, time is a construct. Yeah. March 8th was, inter, is, was International <laughs> Women's Day. Yay. Yay, women. And. I, I want to sing a song about women. I was going to start that. What's that? Um, All your ladies pop your pussy like that. No. No, no. But I just think we should acknowledge it. And we posted um, a post. It's funny because you're going to be. Posted a post. We posted a post on Instagram of all the women that we interviewed. Yeah, so far. Yeah, which is a lot. So That's a lot. Yeah. I don't know. What's that quote? Strong women. May we be them. May we raise them. May we interview them. May we interview (laughs) them. Ooh. You know, if you I also would like to adapt the quote from True Crime Obsessed. Let the women do the work. Yeah. Let the women do the work. Let the women do the work. Yeah. So happy International Women's Day. Yeah. To all of you women. I was going to say, for anybody who identifies as woman. Uh March 8th was your day. Get it, girl. I don't know. Get what? I don't know. Chocolate? I don't know. Get that bread, get yeah. that bread, and leave. Peace out. Oh, man. But okay. Okay, we are too... We are too... This is like a roller coaster of an intro, because today's episode that we're now going to get into is with my dear friend, Allison, mm-hmm. who I used to work with many years ago, and her daughter, Maddie... Um, was a two-time cancer fighter, and she unfortunately lost her battle. And so, before this episode starts, get your Kleenex, pull over, 
If you saw our Instagram story that I posted of me sobbing, yeah. this is why. There was a lot of heavy sobbing. I thought for oh, some reason gosh. that I would be fine. Like, I know the story, so it's yeah. okay. Well, and I'm like a robot, and I don't right. ever want to cry, mm-hmm. so I thought I'd be fine too, but yeah. nope. We were in your closet sobbing. It was bad. Yeah, like weeping. Bad. Like There was like, it was a lot. It was bad. And then I had to edit it, yeah. and I sobbed and wept Ugh, through yeah. editing it. Um, but today, March 9th, the day you're listening is a very special day because it is, it would have been mm-hmm. Madeline's 18th birthday Crazy. and the timing just worked out that this was when her episode was coming and it just, the stars aligned and I just want to send so much love to Allison and her family mm-hmm. and, you know, to Madeline and she's so cute she's so cute and she was such a ray just this like amazing personality and like a little human yeah i used to dabble in photography so i did some photo shoots for them Mm -hmm. and she was just like a ray of sunshine and such a ham for the camera Mm -hmm. and such a proud big sister Mm -hmm. and yeah it was really she was really incredible and this world uh is not the same without her Mm -hmm. And so we also asked at the end of the episode, but I'll mention it here too, if you are moved by this and you want to, you know, um, sort of make a, an acknowledgement for Maddie's birthday, uh, we asked Allison and she said she would love it if anybody could uh, make a donation to the kids' cancer care. Mm-hmm. So I'll post a link in our show notes and we'll post it on Instagram and Facebook. But if, you know, if you hear this episode and you want to do something to sort of uh, carry on Maddie's legacy and acknowledge her, please check out the kids' cancer care and, you know, consider making a donation in her name if mm-hmm. you can. Yeah. Anywho, without further ado, mm-hmm. let's get to it. All right. Bye. Hello, Allison. Hi, Carling. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. We're so excited to chat with you. It's been, well, it's been like years since you and I have connected. Yeah. Yeah. So you and I used to work together at the MS Society. Do you mind if I say that we worked at the MS Society? No, not at all. Yeah, we worked together. So I've been wanting to sort of like reach out and ask to tell uh, your story and Maddie's story for a while. I know when I saw you guys were doing a podcast, I thought, well, maybe one day I'll share Maddie's story on there too. So it all works out. Well, why don't we dive right in? Why don't you start by telling us um, who you are, like what your name is, where you're from, what do you do, and then we'll kind of get into it from there. Okay, sounds good. So my name is Allison. I am from Calgary, and I am a social worker, which is a relatively new position uh, for me, but I started working in palliative care about six months ago, and that is a result of the journey that we have been through. You went back to school just in the last like five years, right? Yeah, I went back to school in 2016 and I graduated in August of 2019. God, good for you. Wow. Thank you. So your story is really Maddie's story and that's what we um, are so excited to share. So why don't we kind of start with, why don't you introduce who Maddie is and and yeah, tell the story in your words. You've told the story before. Many times. <laughs> yeah, so my daughter Madeline was my first born daughter. Uh, she was born in, on March 9th of 2003. Um, so we're just 
about to celebrate her 18th birthday, uh, which is crazy to me. She was a feisty little baby right from the beginning. (laughs) She was happy, but also seemed to, from the time that she was a toddler on, she kind of had spells where she was feeling unwell often and um, kind of coming into the year before she turned five, she was having lots of bouts of vomiting and she'd just have a couple days where it seemed like she would have the flu and then she'd be better for a few days and then she'd have it again and just kind of lots of unexplained illnesses kind of leading into um, 2008. She was your first kid so it's not like you had a lot of experience. No, no. Of like knowing sort of like what's normal, what's not normal. No, exactly. And like I would take her to the doctor and they would be like, well, you, you need to follow the brat diet and keep her on bananas, rice, applesauce. And so I would do that for a few days and she'd seem better. So then we'd think we were good and then she'd get sick again. So yeah, just lots of bringing her to the doctor. I remember them telling me that Maybe she was just having trouble with bathroom issues. So they told me to give the poor thing castor oil to help get things moving. So, oh oh my gosh. Yeah, it was just like a couple of months of really misery for for her and for me (laughs) trying to figure out what was going on. And as a, as you know, a, a parent with your first child in your gut, are you thinking like, there's something more wrong? You know, are you kind of really hoping that they will find something that it's not it's not just stomach issues? Not not at that point yet. So in May of 2008, I had just graduated university from my first degree and uh, my husband and I went on a trip to celebrate. And my sister was looking after Maddie while I was gone on that trip. And um, I remember emailing back and forth with her and she was saying that Maddie had started vomiting right after we had left. And and I remember thinking, well, maybe she's just sad because it's the first time I've been away from her. And but then we got back from our trip and she was still kind of vomiting every day. So this was, like I said, the beginning of May. And And as May progressed, she was vomiting every single day. So that's when I really started to think, well, this can't just be stomach issues. And so we were going to the doctor uh, quite frequently and they decided to do a referral to a pediatrician and they sent her for an ultrasound and, and kind of, again, we're focusing on the tummy. But then when that all showed nothing then they started to think well maybe it's you know an emotional issue you know she doesn't like your your boyfriend she doesn't uh, she just wants to stay home with you she doesn't want to go to daycare so she's just you know making herself sick so she can stay home you start to doubt your parenting and like think oh isn't you know am I doing something wrong is this emotional but it would still happen when I had a fun day planned like you know, we were at West Edmonton Mall and and she would still vomit before we would get up to go to the theme park. So I thought this can't be just an emotional issue. As we were coming into yeah. six weeks of this, I was starting to do like a little bit of research myself. And I remember thinking like some of the symptoms pointed to a brain tumor. And I was like, 
hmm, like, I wonder if, if she has a brain tumor, but everyone, you know, I'd mention that and people would be like, well, that's a bit extreme. Like, come on, you're being ridiculous. So, so leading into um, the day that she got diagnosed, which was Father's Day of 2008, so June 15th, she was in really rough shape, like the two nights leading up to it. She couldn't sleep. She, she said she was dizzy. She said her head hurt. We were out having a, like a Father's Day camp out and, and pig roast. And Maddie wasn't playing with any of the kids. She was just crying to me. And, and I had tried to get her to go to bed and lay with her. And we were just up all night. So finally, I just, I said to my sister, I need to take her to the hospital. Like, this is ridiculous. So that morning, my my sister and I went to Emerge, and when we brought her into triage, and they started to kind of look at her, listen to what I was saying, and then look at her symptoms, they were like, rushed us right in, which, you know, is never a good sign. <laughs> they said, oh, we were thinking she might have meningitis, uh, like she's holding her neck at kind of a funny angle, and you know, we're just seeing some signs that might indicate she has meningitis. So we're going to do an emergency CAT scan right away. They sent us down and then they had us come and sit in the, in the eMERGE room waiting to get the results of the CAT scan. And so at this time, Maddie's just literally laying in my lap, just like lifeless. Her barely had any energy to lift her head. Oh, yeah, it, it was awful. And, and she was five. She was five. Yeah, she was five by then. Okay. I remember hearing the like overhead pager page the emergency room doctor to radiology. So I looked at my sister and I was like, "Oh, this isn't good," you know. And then a few minutes later, yeah, or well, maybe it was a few minutes. I don't know. Maybe a lifetime later, they knocked on the door and they came in and right away it was a social worker and the doctor. And he knelt down in front of me and then he just, he like basically blurted out, like we've found a brain tumor. Wow. And do you remember what went through your mind? I actually remember feeling like, thank you. Um, you finally figured out what's wrong with her. She's not like, we're not crazy. She's not crazy. There's something wrong and it's something that can be fixed. So I actually yeah. just remember feeling really thankful, like having no further thoughts beyond that moment of okay now we can move on to the next step yeah, yeah so what are next steps when when you get that diagnosis so right away um like they told me to like I could phone my family so I phoned Peter I phoned my parents I phoned Maddie's dad just kind of had everyone kind of en route and and then they said, so we'll have we'll have her admitted as soon as possible, and um, she's going to be prepared for surgery as soon as we can get it arranged. Um, so yeah, it was just like wow. a blur of activity of thinking, what do we need to get to the hospital? Who's coming? And all of that kind of stuff. A lot of support from the social worker. I remember her saying like, don't worry about stuff. All Maddie needs is you. you she just needs you to be with, you, with her. Be calm, you know. You're her lighthouse. But the good thing was that they gave her medication right away to help 
relieve the pressure that she was feeling in her brain. So within a few short hours, she was actually feeling really good because the pressure was relieved. So it was almost a sense of like she was kind of back to normal for a little while there. So the night prior to her surgery was actually pretty peaceful because she was in a good mood and she was feeling better and she was able to eat. So in that sense, it was not too bad. It wasn't too stressful, but that was the Sunday night. So we thought that for sure she was going to have surgery Monday morning, um, but because she had kind of um, responded well to the steroids and, and the medication, there was another child that had happened to come in the same day with a brain tumor as well. And that child wasn't doing as well. So they asked, you know, we're going to bump bump that child ahead of, of Maddie. Is that okay? So, of course, we were like, sure. So she didn't end up having the surgery till Tuesday. Um, so Monday, we just spent playing games and watching TV and having lots of visitors. And did you explain to her what was her understanding of what was happening? We just told her that she had an, an owie in her head and that, it would it needed to come out and then that she was going to feel a lot better and i don't remember her being too too stressed or worried about it because she didn't really know have any expectations of what was coming so yeah i don't remember it being too too bad at that time for her but then i tuesday morning you know we met with the with the surgeon and he went over like what the outcome of the surgery was going to be he prepared us for what worst case might look like which was completely frightening because, you know, he said that this brain tumor was right on the back. It's called a, a, a pendymoma, and it was in her posterior fossa, which is the back of the brain. And in, in particular, it was on her brain stem. So he said it was really quite enmeshed with her brain stem. And so they would have to be so careful because your brain stem is what controls your life functions. So you know, he said there is a possibility that she may never be able to walk again. She may not be able to breathe on her own again. Like, you know, this is pretty major serious surgery. So you don't prepare yourself for that. Were they able to determine maybe how long she had had the tumor for? So they they had said that after they got it out and they did the pathology on it and stuff. Because at this time, I should I should back up that we didn't even know it was cancer. All we knew that it was a brain tumor. Um, because, you know, there is tum brain tumors that are benign. So all they, um, when they did the pathology on it, they said mm -hmm. that there had been a lot of calcium on the tumor. So they felt like it had been there for quite a long time. So when I look back, it does make sense with like some of the behavior we had seen, you know, when she was four and stuff like that. So I do think that it was there for quite a while um, before we found out, but it's hard to know, I guess, for sure. Yeah. And so other than surgery, what was treatment like? They had, um, so after the pathology came back and, and they diagnosed her with, um, it's what's called an anaplastic ependymoma. And um, that type of tumor is actually a chemo-resistant tumor. So in terms of treatment options, the only options are um, surgery, radiation. So once we found out that it was cancer and um, that it was that certain type, then they told us that she would need to have six weeks of radiation to her brain. Um, and the way that the doctor explained it to me was that they had believed that they had gotten all of the tumor out when they did the surgery, but that 
it's kind of like a bowl of ice cream. And even though you think you've licked the bowl clean, that there still could be just the tiniest little bit still in there, um, which could cause it to regrow again. So um, they said that doing the radiation would just be an insurance policy to make sure that they had gotten it all. Wow. And radiation is really hard on the body though, right? It is. And the type of radiation that she was going to have was called focal radiation. So it was really just aimed at the specific part where the tumor had, had been. So hopefully in doing that, it avoided any of the other areas of the brain being affected because yes, I mean, radiation to the brain is very risky in itself and can cause a lot of secondary complications. So their hope was that in just keeping it to that focal area that her risks would be um, minimized. And so how long was, um, how long was she in the hospital for? She was only in the hospital, I think for 10 days. Um, which was crazy because got out of her brain surgery, uh, which was nine hours long. Uh, it was like the longest day of my life. <laughs> she had to recover in the ICU for a couple of nights. And then then she was cha- she was transferred up to unit three where she was recovering. And she had a, bra- um, a drain in her brain that was helping to regulate the, the fluid that runs all through her head. And... Once that kind of got regulated and her brain was able to take over doing that on its own, then they wanted us to go home because they really believe that the best place for for kids to get better is at home. So, yeah, I think only 10 days. And then we went home and we spent all of July and um, August, most of August, just recovering from the brain surgery and and getting better. And then radiation started, I think, in the middle of September. And so was she in kindergarten or grade one at this point? She was in preschool when she got diagnosed, um, but she started kindergarten while she was having radiation. So she would go to kindergarten in the morning and then she would go for radiation in the afternoon. That's got to be so hard on her little body, like just exhausting. She did really, really well. Like with a five-year-old, they there's yeah. two ways it can go um, because they have to stay absolutely still because even the slightest movement can cause like irreparable damage. So they actually like bolt them to the table with like they had a plastic mask made to fit her face and she would be bolted to the radiation table. And so with five-year-olds, they often don't think that they're able to stay still. So they sedate, you know, five and under is kind of their their benchmark for having them be sedated. But in my mind, I really didn't want her to be sedated every day for six weeks. And if, because if she would have had to be sedated, she would have had to get a port put in, which means she wouldn't have been able to swim and things like that. So I was really adamant that I wanted to try doing it without her being sedated. So yeah, the first day we went, she was a bit fidgety and they they kind of tried a few times and, and they actually stopped and said, you know what, we're gonna actually have to sedate her. And I was like, oh, can I please just talk to her? Can, we just, can I just take her aside for a bit and talk to her? I really don't want her sedated. So it, it was so neat because it actually just happened that this little girl that we had met in the hospital who also had a brain tumor had come down the hallway to get her radiation 
and I asked her mom, do you think it would be okay if Maddie watched this little girl get her radiation so she can see that it's okay? And the mom and the little girl agreed. So then Maddie was able to watch this little girl having her radiation on the screen. And she saw that she wasn't in pain and it didn't hurt. And and this little girl was so cute. She told her, it's just like a day at the spa. You get a warm blanket. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. That's oh. so sweet. Maddie went in and she laid so still. We called her like, we called it still as a soldier. And and she did it and and then she went every day for 6 weeks and it was never a problem and she had no side effects from the radiation and she was just doing great like we really we really were on the right track wow and then from there did life just sort of carry on yeah so she finished treatment and we had a big party to celebrate the end of radiation and you know, she had very minimal side effects. She was moving great. Like she went into, she went on to continue kindergarten and we moved on with our life. You know, uh, we ended up buying a new house and my boyfriend at the time and I got engaged and, and then, you know, Maddie started talking to me about how lonely she was and how she wanted to have a brother or sister. So Peter and I decided maybe we'll have one more baby and, and I got pregnant right away and life just seemed to be doing amazing. Um, she was getting checked every four months to make sure that the tumor wasn't growing back. You know, they did tell us there was a 50% chance that it could come back because it was quite an aggressive tumor. But they said, you know, if it does, we'll, we'll be able to catch it because we'll be checking every four months. And so we really thought that we were the lucky ones. We we were just going to move forward with our life. And they were always very hesitant to say, you know, that things were for sure good. Because with this type of tumor, they look at like a seven-year time frame. But definitely moving into year three, things were, were we were pretty confident that, that we were going to be okay. Wow. And because I remember, so that's kind of around the time that we met. Um, cause I got to be at your wedding and then I got to see Emmett was your next yes. born, right? Yeah. So yeah, I was working at the MS society, um, kind of, yeah, the three years after she had been doing well and, and I had just gone on maternity leave. Um, I was due to have Emmett at the beginning of April, which also coincided with, um, the time of year when Maddie would have her MRI. So she would have them in April, December, and August. So Emmett was due at the beginning of April. And I remember they called and said, you know, we have Maddie's appointment scheduled for the first week of April. And I had said, well, do you mind bumping it back a few weeks? Cause I'm due to have my baby that week. And, you know, Maddie really likes me to go in with her for her MRIs and I couldn't because I was pregnant. So I was like, if you could just bump it back a few weeks, then right. I can go in with her. So of course, sure, no problem. And and then Emmett was born March 24th. And uh, we went to go have her MRI appointment in like the last week of April. And the machine broke down. And so they said to me, well, yeah, oh. like something was off. The machine wasn't online. So they said, you know, it's going to take us a couple hours to get this machine back and running. And you, you're sitting here with your brand new baby. Like, would it be okay if we just rescheduled Maddie? 
So I said, yeah, of course. And again, not, not even hesitating because it's been three years. So I don't think, you know, pumping it back two weeks is going to make, uh, make or break anything. So, so they rescheduled the appointment, which would have been on May 16th. So now we're kind of into the second week of May and we had traveled back to my husband's hometown for a funeral and the night we had, or early morning when we had gotten back, um, Maddie had gotten sick. And I just kind of sh- shrugged it off that we had been traveling all night. So maybe her tummy was a bit upset, not a big deal. And then another week passed by. It was a Tuesday morning and I was getting re- her lunch made and I heard her get sick again. And I went up and I was like, oh, you you have the flu? And she said, yeah, I don't, I, I don't feel good. I want to go back to bed. So I was like, okay. And I, again, I just assumed it's the flu, you know, kids get sick. I didn't have that intense fear anymore because it had been so long. At lunchtime, she came down and she said, mommy, I feel better. Can I go out and play in the park? And I remember my stomach kind of did a flip because that's what would happen when she was five was she'd you know, feel sick as soon as she woke up. But then once that pressure was relieved from her brain, she would feel absolutely fine. And so, yeah, I just had that slight, like, oof. That afternoon, I I remember going for a walk with my sister and and saying, you know, Maddie got sick this morning. And I was a bit worried. And, And even her saying, well, she just had an MRI in December. You know, they saw nothing then. I'm like, you're right, you're right just being crazy, you know, and, uh, and just the next morning, she came into my room again, at like 6am and said, Mommy, my head hurts. And she threw up right away. And I thought, Oh, gosh, no, this is not good. So I was on the phone at like 8am with our oncologist. And uh, he told or sorry, I talked to the primary nurse and he said, well, what's going on? And I just said, you know, she's vomited a couple times in a row. And now that I'm looking at her, I see that she looks like she's holding her head funny and her eyes are kind of darting around, which were all, you know, symptoms that she had experienced the first time. So he said, well, she has her, this is, this is Wednesday by now. And he says, she has her MRI scheduled for Monday. So so I, unless anything gets terribly worse, I think we'll just see you guys Monday and, and see what's going on at that point. So I said, okay. But a couple of hours later, the oncologist called back. And I think probably because she was like, I've never heard from this mom in three years. So, you know, so what's going on? So she she just said, I, I talked to my nurse and he was telling me you're a little bit worried about Maddie. So I started telling her what I had seen and what was going on. And she said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you bring her in tomorrow morning and we'll do a CAT scan and we'll just see if there's anything. And if not, then then good. She'll still have her MRI Monday and hopefully that's all. And I was like, okay. Um, my dad and I brought her in the next morning. And and even when the on-call, oncologist kind of did a an examination, he said, no, you know what, she's doing good. I think she just has a cold. And in the back of my mind, I was like, no, this is not just a cold. Like, I just, I just knew in my heart that this was more than just a cold. So we were sitting in the waiting room, which felt like forever. And I just, 
I remember my dad and I looking at all these kids that look so sick and dad saying like, look at Maddie, like there's no way she's sick. And I was just like, yeah, but, <laughs> but I really didn't believe him. You know, the oncologist came around the corner and he gestured for just me and he asked me to come into the room and, and I came in and he said right away, yeah, uh, unfortunately it does look like the tumor is back. Um, we we see some, oh, we God. see a mass on the scan, and we're gonna have to do an MRI this afternoon to see to see how how bad it is and and decide on our plan of action. But I think you should prepare yourself that Maddie's gonna get admitted right away, and again, and we're gonna have to do surgery again. And and I was like, okay. <laughs> And what goes through your brain at this point? How do you even process that? I just remember thinking, God, how am I going to go out and tell her that she's going to have to go through all this again? Because, I mean, even though she took the news well when she was five, then she had to go through all of it. So the needles and the pokes and the, I just thought, oh, how am I going to tell her that she's going to have to have surgery again? Like that was the most thing I was afraid of. Because I guess I was naive because I just thought, well, we went through it once and she was fine. So we'll just go through it again and, and she'll be fine, but we just have to get her, get her through it. Yeah. So I walked back out into the waiting room and I just sat down beside her and said, you know, honey, I'm so sorry, but you're the tumor's back and, and we're going to have to have surgery again. And, but you'll, you'll get through this. You beat it once. We're going to beat it again. And, and just, being really upbeat and positive, which of course wasn't how I was feeling, but I wasn't going to let her know that. Yeah. And how did she take it? Do you remember her reaction? She took it really well. She just was like, okay, mommy. I think she just looked, she looked to me and was like, okay, well, my mom looks okay. So I'm going to be okay, you know? So yeah, then after I kind of told her and, and my dad and I had our, I talk, we called you know, my stepmom, my sisters, my brothers, my husband, everyone, a few people came to the hospital and, and the, we just moved forward with that she was going to have the MRI that afternoon. So I went in to the MRI with her and I remember sitting there while she was having it just thinking, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen? Is is everything going to be okay? And just not even knowing what the heck was going on, just feeling like I was in a blur we went back yeah. to the waiting room in oncology while they reviewed the MRI results. And then our oncologist by then had come and she gestured to me and Peter and just said, I need to talk to just the two of you. And she brought us into the room and she basically said, it looks like the tumor has not mm. only come back, but it's metastasized to many areas in her brain and, and down into her spinal column. And I've reviewed the scan with the neurosurgeon, and he believes that the tumor is inoperable. So at this point, we really don't have many options for her. You know, we'll take this to the tumor board on Tuesday, and I'll see what everybody thinks. But really, I just don't know that there's going to be much that we are going to be able to do for Maddie. And it was just like, and what I I don't even know how you process that information. No, no. I don't really know how I did either. I just I just remember I remember asking, well, 
if there's nothing you can do, how long is she going to have? And she said, well, a couple of months at best. I guess from that moment, I just started to think, okay, like, let's, let's, let's prepare that she only has a couple of months left. And, and that's what we did. And yeah, like, uh, it was four o'clock on a Thursday, you know, the waiting room's empty. I just came out and I shook my head at my parents and I just started bawling. And so then they started bawling right away and Maddie's looking around and she's scared because she doesn't understand why is everyone, why is everyone not so upset? And, and so luckily my sister just, my sister just said, come on, Maddie, you're going to come with me and we'll meet you guys at home. Maddie's going to come in my car. And my parents and I just hugging and sobbing in, in the hallway and, and just them giving us a prescription for steroids and anti-nausea drugs and saying, you know, we'll be in touch next week. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like you guys just told me that my daughter's probably going to die and I'm just going home. <laughs> it was so unbelievable. So did you have a social worker at that point? No, they didn't bring in a social worker at that point. Like that seems like the time that you need the social work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. I just maybe it was the end of the day. She'd already gone home. I'm not really sure, but yeah, certainly when I look back, it is. It it was an imperative time, and it's definitely part of the reason that drove me to become a social worker. (laughs) Emmett's six weeks old at this point, so I'm still trying to manage a brand new baby and and manage her symptoms and and then also just trying to live like I just kind of as we drove home that day um, Peter and I were in the car and and we had been planning our wedding and I remember saying to him you know we're gonna have to spend our wedding money on Maddie's funeral and he was like no don't you know that's not true we're gonna be positive we're gonna she's gonna be okay and and you know and and that that was the way he dealt with it and and some other people thought that too but i right from the beginning was preparing for the worst mm-hmm. i don't know if that was good or bad but you know that was the two different ways that that we started to prepare uh we just decided you know they were very cognizant of wanting to keep give maddie the best quality of life um with whatever time she had remaining the tumor board did come back um, and our oncologist with the decision to put Maddie on a clinical trial for a chemo drug that was specific to that type of brain tumor and specifically for a relapse. And so that was up in Edmonton. So we started traveling to Edmonton to, uh, to find out about this clinical trial which again, on the way up the first time, I kind of had some renewed hope, like, oh, there is something they're going to be able to do for her, and this chemo is going to work, and and things are going to be okay. And then we met with the oncologist up there, who was pretty straight shooter, and basically said, you do know that this is this, you know, this isn't going to cure her. This is just going to hopefully buy her more time. So it was just that up and down roller coaster of, oh, okay, no, I didn't actually know that. I thought this was going to make a big difference, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so we, we started doing the clinical trial. We started just living. Like every day I asked Maddie, what do you want to do today? 
and she would tell me and whatever she said we would do you know she said I want to go to the science center and see the titanic exhibit and I want to go shopping I want to get my hair dyed pink and purple and I want high heels <laughs> and and so we did all those things and she wanted to drive a car so I let her drive my dad's car around the campground and just crazy things. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> and physically, though, like every day, how is she? She was doing okay. She was, like, the medication was managing her symptoms um, pretty well. She was still kind of feeling unwell in the mornings, so we would just kind of take it easy in the mornings. But then, you know, she would she would move on with the rest of her day. I remember one thing that stands out was when we were getting her hair done at the hairdressers. We went for lunch right after and uh, <laughs> she ended up getting sick and and we just were walking on the street and there was a, a planter right beside and I just like quickly steered her to the planter and she was kind of embarrassed and and I just said, well, you're feeding the birds. The be- the birds are going to eat all your lunch now. And, you know, like we just tried to be as positive as we could with what we had to deal with. But certainly as the time went on, she was getting more and more sick and wanting to do less and less. And, and that was hard for me to accept. I I kept trying to push her, you know, I know you're tired, but let's just go for a bike ride. And she'd be like, mommy, I don't want to. And, and that, that's kind of where Peter was a good balance because he would say, you know, Allison, just leave her, just let her watch a movie, just sit with her and watch a movie. It's okay. You know? So it was so great to have the support at that time that we could balance each other out with, you know, how we were dealing with things. So our last big, um, wish that Maddie had was to go to see the ocean so um, right away my family and I planned a big trip to go to Mexico and it just all the stars aligned and we got a really great deal and a last minute trip and I didn't even think about getting insurance or anything goodness I just wanted to get her to see the ocean and so me and my whole family jumped on a plane and and we went to Mexico and I remember it was crazy because the few days leading up to the trip, she was actually quite ill and had to go to the hospital to be hydrated. And I remember saying to our oncologist, should I be canceling this trip? And she said, you know what, Maddie can throw up in the hospital or she can throw up by the ocean, like just take her. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. So yeah, we went to Mexico and we had the time of our lives because I don't, I don't know, I can't explain it, but the whole time we were in Mexico, she never got sick once. She was dancing, she was singing, she was swimming, she was eating. We just had the best trip. And I'm just so thankful for that. I remember seeing pictures and just, yeah, like the every picture posted of that time just looks so happy and so carefree yeah like you would never have known that this little girl was dying of a brain tumor like you look at the pictures and she just looks completely normal and happy which was so good and we got home on a Sunday night and those last few days at home she really wasn't feeling good. She started getting sick again the minute we got home. We had been up in Edmonton 
and I, the doctor had told me, you know, she's looking okay, but just so you know, if ever she suddenly gets unresponsive or something strange happens, like call an ambulance because it could indicate that the pressure has built up in her brain again and, and she would need to go to the hospital right away. So I was like, okay, just kind of keeping our eyes on things. And the last night that she was at home, we had been at a birthday party and she had really, really wanted to go, even though she wasn't feeling good at all. She came to the birthday party and I just knew that she wasn't in good shape. So I said to Peter, you know, we have to go. She's really not well. And so we drove home. I got her out of the truck and we were trying to get into the house and she collapsed and then she was unresponsive. So I knew we had to call an ambulance. And they came right away, and uh, and she went into the hospital. Oh my gosh, that's awful. And so, and you're still managing a newborn baby at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, he was three months old because it had only been um, six weeks since she had been diagnosed at this point. And right. so they did yeah. a scan in Emerge, and they came back and told us that the tumor had still considered had still continued to grow in that six weeks and it was even like five times larger than it had been on May 12th and basically at yeah at that point they basically said you know we're out of options like Maddie's not going to make it like this she is going to die from this brain tumor my god I like I can't even fathom that yeah it was just absolutely awful and so she moved so is that the point that you started looking at the was it the flames yeah so we were at so she was hospitalized on June 25th and for the first two weeks we were in oncology and our goal really was to actually have her die at home but they couldn't get her pain under control because the tumor at that point had just taken over so much that she she was just so uncomfortable and had such bad headaches and so there really there really wasn't an option to go home so that's when they approached me about going to the rotary flames house which I really didn't want to do and I held out for as long as I could because of just what it meant I, it just seemed so final like this is the place where kids go to die and I don't want my daughter to go there because I don't want her to die what was Maddie's state like like what did she have periods of being really alert and you know when her pain was managed she the at the time that we were in the hospital there most days she was quite almost sedated because the pain was so bad that they often had to keep her quite, quite sedated. But, and then even when she was awake, she would have times where she was quite confused um, because of the pain meds. There's some funny stories that we have just with her thinking that her, a balloon was her baby brother and just like, just not really. But she was just, you know, when she was able, she was still, she was still Maddie. She was still so loving and she was happy and she, she never asked, why is this happening to me? She just accepted everything that, that came her way. And she was so strong and brave. I just, I can't even believe like what she was going through without even complaining, you know, 
like I think about when I have a bad headache and I feel like such a baby and I'm just like wow like there was Maddie with this huge brain tumor and and she never once complained yeah wow and so what was the transition then like to the Rotary House? So when we finally decided that we would go there, um, they really sold it to us. They took us for a tour and they said, you know, you guys can live here as a family. There's there's a suite for you and Peter and Emmett. And then it's attached to a living room. And then Maddie's patient room is right here. And, you know, we'll cook for you guys. And it will be like being at home without being at home. And I finally agreed that we should go there but I was really hesitant to have Maddie know where she was going because we had talked about what the Rotary Flames house was and I really just didn't really want her to know that she was going there so I just told her you know we're going to go to a place where we can all be together as a family and and we can take care of you there and, and she was like okay and it turned out that without us even knowing it, that Maddie had actually lost her sight. So she didn't even, <laughs> she didn't even see where she was going anyways. And again, just so brave, like she didn't even tell us. The only reason I even figured it out was because she was feeding herself and she missed the bowl with her spoon. And I remember saying, Maddie, can you see the bowl? And she said, not that much. And she was just so sweet like I just thought oh my goodness like how are you not terrified and wondering why you can't see and do you think she didn't tell you because it didn't occur to her or was she sort of just she didn't I don't know like do you know why she didn't tell you I don't know I, I don't really know why I think you know people often ask me do you think she knew that she was dying and and because we didn't we made the decision not to tell her that and and I don't think that she did because I think in her mind she had gotten better once and she didn't know any differently she just she just knew she was going to get better again and I'm okay with that you know she often asks when do I get to go home or when when can I when am I going to go home and I just would say when you're when you're feeling better and again like our goal was to get her home. So I didn't feel like I was lying. I mean, if she had straight out asked me, I I think it would have been different, but she just wanted to talk about when she was going to go shopping again and when she was going to get better. And and I felt okay with that. And I remember, Alison, I remember going to visit you at the Rotary house. And I think that's where you told me like that Maddie couldn't see. And I remember you telling me that she said she was asking you like, oh, like when I get better, do you think I'll be able to see again? And I, yeah. God, like it just breaks my heart and that you had to navigate yeah. that. Yeah. And, and that's why too, like, I don't necessarily think that she knew she was dying because she would ask questions like that. And I, I remember her even saying, oh, how old are you going to be when I'm 16, mommy? And I, and I said, I'm going to be 40. And she was like, I don't want you to be that old. I want you to stay young and be a young mummy and <laughs> and things like that. But yeah, yeah, Carling, so I don't know if you remember, but you actually came to see me uh, the day before Maddie died. So yeah. Yeah, I do remember. God, I'm trying so hard not Ooh, to cry. Yeah, this yeah. Is hard. God. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I think you were on the, one of the only times that I left her side actually was to go and sit with you. We sat out on, on the yeah. porch. Yeah, so I stayed with her, like, 
the whole yeah, month. Yeah, I remember seeing. Yeah, I remember seeing the room and like the suite was gorgeous. Like they like what an incredible facility. Um, but yeah, Maddie was you know just sleeping mm-hmm. uh, when I went to see you guys. And yeah, I just remember going on a really quick little walk with you and having a little visit. Yeah. So she, so she had like, she had her bed in the patient room and then I had actually asked them to bring in another bed for me. So I laid right beside her all the time. If she reached out, she could feel me right away. And Emmett and I slept beside her. Uh, Cause at this point, you know, he's four months old and still needing me just as much as she is. So the three of us were just snuggled up and um, we were actually preparing to take her home on the Monday because she had been finally they had her pain under control they had transitioned her off of all IV medications and she was just on patches and so we we were preparing to bring her home and and actually we're going to bring her to my parents house and they had gotten everything ready and and the night before she died, she had had such an amazing night. Like she all of a sudden was just like full of energy and, and chatty Cathy and wanted to talk about going shopping the next day. And she requested chili and bannock because she was wanting to eat that. And she asked my sister to go hunt down some kind of candy for her. And she we took her down that same walk and took her outside to get some fresh air and we washed her hair. Like she was just, it was just an amazing night that she just had this amazing burst of energy that overnight she was so, she was so hyper and, and full of energy. And by then I was exhausted. So I remember thinking, Oh my goodness, I'm just so tired. Yeah. And the nurse saying to me, well, I'll sit up with her and we'll have a tea party and you just get some sleep. And, and, uh, and so I did and having no idea that that was the last night of her life. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. I can't, I can't even imagine how to navigate that at all. It's unbelievable what you had to go through and, and seeing your child like that. And oh my gosh so sad so the next morning you know I said are are we gonna be able to take Maddie home today but she just she was really sleepy and not really much alert that morning and they said well you know she was up most of the night so she's probably just tired and we should just let her get some rest so I think we'll probably push off sending her home till tomorrow. So I was like, okay, you know, I was very disappointed, but in a sense also a bit relieved because, you know, when when your brain is misfiring because of the disease, there was, you know, lots of things that were happening that were scary. And so in some ways we wanted to take her home, but in other ways I was relieved for her to stay there too. Yeah, yeah. Was she able to, like... Did the brain tumor affect her verbally at all? Like, or she was still able to communicate with you? Yeah, she was still able to talk um, almost right up until the end, um, which is, which is kind of, you know, they prepare you. There's lots of signs that, that people have when they're getting near end of life. So I remember asking that afternoon, you know, is Maddie's pretty tired today and she's not really responding too much. Like, do you think she's going to is she in a coma or is she heading that way? And they were like, no, you know, again, we just think she's really sleepy. And 
if she's responding to you, then she's not in a coma and don't worry too much. She hasn't really shown any of the signs yet that she's at end of life. So, And what are some of those signs that they were looking for? Well, they would definitely see like the breathing changing or um, her increased uh, sleepiness. Like she would probably have gotten to the stage where she wasn't really was responding at all. Um, they see some signs in the skin tone and things like that. Yeah, she wasn't really showing any of those signs until, you know, about an hour before she passed away. I noticed that her breathing changed a little bit, but it's kind of like the way I can compare it is, you know, when a baby's been crying for a really long time and then it takes them a while to settle down and they kind of make that like sound for a little while. She was yeah, she was yeah. kind of doing that, but it wasn't anything like I didn't think it was anything alarming. We brought in her supper at I think it was like around six o'clock and and it was the chili and bannock that she had requested. And I remember Peter saying to her, Maddie, it's Peter. You know, can you hear me? And she said, Yeah. And he said, Oh, your chili and bannock's here. And she said, Okay. But then kind of just went back to sleep. And those are probably kind of the last words that that she spoke. So then around seven o'clock that night, I decided to take my son Emmett for a bath. Uh, I was still really trying to struggle with managing both of them. And so each night I would take him for a bath, just him and I, and that was kind of our dedicated time together. And so my sister was sitting um, facing Maddie and I had my back, or she had her back to me where my bed was. And so I just said to my sister, you know, I'm going to take Emmett for his bath now. And can you just sit with Maddie? And she said, okay. And I remember kind of grabbing the baby and coming around the bed. And and then my sister saying, you know, I'm not sure, is Maddie still breathing? And I looked over at her and I could tell that some things had changed in the way she was looking and, and her breath. So I paged the nurse and the nurse came in and I said, I think Maddie's not breathing anymore. And so she got out her stethoscope and she started listening and she said, no, her heart's still beating, but she isn't breathing. So get Peter in here right away. Like she is going to pass away. And so it was like, oh my gosh. And Peter, get in here. And he came running in and I just picked her up and held her. And then she was gone. It was just so quick and so peaceful. Like she just was sleeping and I'm so thankful for that. I I really look at it as a gift that that we didn't have to go through those awful end of life things that some people have talked about because she just went to sleep. Yeah. Wow. Michelle God, Michelle and I are just sobbing in this oh, corner. <laughs> yeah. And so my family came in, some of them, some of my family members were there, they were in the living room. And so they came in and we all stood around Maddie and I was holding her on my lap. And um, I remember my parents were there, I think my two sisters and and my stepsister, I I think they were there and then they probably left the room. I, I know for certain I asked for some time alone for just myself and Maddie to be together. And I just held her and talked to her. And and I remember the oncologist came. They, they must have called her to tell her that Maddie had died. And she came in to say goodbye. And 
it was a blur and it was very quick because I had made the decision to donate her brain tumor for research. And so um, when I made that decision, they told me that I was only going to be able to have an hour with her after she died because they would need to get her over to the children's hospital to get the brain tumor out so that, that it, they could keep it alive, basically, to be able to do the research on it. When they started knocking at the door and saying it's time, that was the hardest thing I ever had to do, was let her go. And so the funeral home came to get her. I'm so sorry. Yeah. The funeral home came in to get her, and I placed her on the gurney. And we said our goodbyes, and then they brought her out. And I remember watching from the window as they loaded her up and and drove away. And it was just the, mo the most unreal moment of my life, I think. I don't think I'll ever go through anything as hard as that. And you got some really, um, like... I don't like interesting information from the research place, right? About yeah. Her tumor? So a month after she died, um, the I was in touch, or I, I can't remember if the oncologist told me or if I spoke to the researcher, but she basically let us know that the tumor was still rapidly like growing and dividing in the cell dish, like even without having her brain as a host. So. Um, so that really showed them how aggressive that tumor was. And I met with the oncologist, I think two months after, and she went over the autopsy results with me. Yeah, I mean, this brain tumor was just unreal. Like, so it, it had definitely come back. You know, it was the original tumor that had grown back and just, and just spread. And it's just... It's so crazy because they, they combed through the MRIs from December to make sure, you know, was there something we missed? And and they were certain that there had been no evidence of disease in December. So it really had gone from nothing to metastasizing on May 12th. And what is it like knowing that? Like, is, is there a sort of a sense of you couldn't have done anything else? It, it was, it was going to grow no matter what? I think... Uh, so when Maddie first got diagnosed and was sick and dying, I had immense guilt uh, that I had changed that MRI appointment from the beginning of May, or sorry, the beginning of April. I think meeting with the doctor that day and her telling me how bad it was and telling her, you know, I, I've been living with this guilt. And she said to me, you know, there's nothing that you could have done differently. She said the only thing that would have changed had she been diagnosed, you know, April 5th was that you would have had 10 days of normal life with a brand new baby before you found out your daughter was dying instead of six weeks. Right. So uh, that yeah. helped. It helped. But, you know, what I've learned of grief is that grief is irrational and regardless of the circumstances of the loss that our brain looks for reasons to feel guilty. And that certainly was the one that I lived with. But, you know, I've worked through it. It's taken a while, but I know now that there is nothing I could have done differently. I mean, certainly many things I wish I could have done differently, yeah. but. <laughs> yeah, of course. And and you saying how, um, you know, strong this tumor was, 
the first thing I thought of was how incredibly strong she was to, you know, live with that and, and still be able to, I don't do anything. Like it's, it's incredible. For sure. I mean, the night before she collapsed at home, like I, (laughs) I forced her to go for a bike ride and around our neighborhood. And I just think, Oh my goodness. Yeah. How did she do that? But she just did it because she knew that I wanted her to. Yeah. It's just something about kids though, right? It's just they're so resilient. They're so resilient and they're so strong. It just breaks my heart. I don't even have words. I've just been sobbing for the last 10 Aww. minutes. <laughs> yeah. And you guys have done some really great work at sort of keeping her memory alive to this day. Every time I see the color purple, I think of her. And yeah, you guys, you got a bench in your neighborhood dedicated to her, right? Yeah. So I mean, I think any parent that loses a child, the biggest fear that they have is that their child's going to be forgotten. And so I certainly made it my my mission that she was not going to be forgotten. So Yeah, I contacted our community and I asked them to put a bench in the park right across the street from our house. I contacted her dance studio and they put up a plaque. I I contacted her school. I contacted girl guides. Like everywhere I could possibly think that Maddie had left an imprint, I wanted it to be remembered. And, you know, we are very involved with kids cancer care. So I've done some work with them you know, telling her story for their, for fundraising, did the children's hospital radiothon. I told our story on that. Yeah. I've participated in research studies on the parents relationship. Like I've done everything I can to, to ensure that I create, you know, a lasting legacy for her. Often when I would meet other parents, I would feel so I would feel so bad because they were starting foundations in their in their child's honor or doing all these great things. And and then I realized over time that the biggest legacy that I've created for Maddie is in becoming a social worker and helping people go through what we've yeah. gone through. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. And how do you guys keep her memory alive? Because your family has expanded again. um, And now you've got three little kiddos, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So we, you know, we, that is the thing is that because none of her siblings really got a chance to know her. I mean, Emmett was only four months old when she died. So he does have some pictures of them together, which he cherishes. And, and he talks about her a lot, which I, which I love, but right from the right from the beginning you know our kids they just know that their sister is in heaven and that she died because she had an owie in her brain and you know we talk about her all the time I have pictures of her everywhere you know if if I have a toy that's still hers I tell them this this was Maddie's toy or this was Maddie's favorite meal or place to go like I just want them to know as much about her because, you know, if I die, when I die, that if they don't know about her, then then she dies with me. And I don't want that to happen. I want her legacy to live on. And so, yeah, I teach her about them and we celebrate her birthday every year. Um, we celebrate her angelversary on July 25th. We do balloon releases. You know, we we get cakes still. We we do everything we can to still have her as part of our life. I love that. And it's, I can't, like, I cannot believe. So March 9th, which is the day this episode will come out, would have been her 18th birthday. Yeah. Oh. 
So it's sad for me too, because of course, That's not even knowing that COVID, that she'd be having her 18th birthday in COVID. So I think, geez, she'd be so disappointed. She wouldn't be able to go to the bar or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my big, my big oh, plan was to go to the bar and have drinks for her birthday, but um, probably that won't be able to happen. So I think. My sisters and I are going to spend the day. We're going to go to the spa and just think about her. And then we'll have our usual celebration with, with my family in the evening, whether it's be virtual or in person. I don't know, but maybe outside, maybe yeah. outside if the weather's nice. Yeah. And um, as well, something. So when Maddie turned one, I made a time capsule for her. And um, in the back of my mind, you know, I lost my mom when I was 14. And so I always thought, how nice would it have been if if I would have had something of hers on my 18th birthday? So I asked my whole family to write Maddie a letter that she would open with this time capsule on her 18th birthday. So I probably have at least 10, if not more, letters that have been written to her. Oh, yeah, that I'm going to read on her 18th birthday. Oh, my gosh. Are you prepared I to know. cry for like five hours straight? That's that's incredible and very I know. hard. I mean, all of her birthdays have been hard. Certainly the first, you know, her first birthday without her was was yeah, terrible. Absolutely. But I feel like this one's going to be um, extra hard because of those letters. And I, although I, I do want to read them and I will read them, I, I acknowledge that it's going to certainly be hard. And I wonder what I wrote to her thinking that maybe there would be a possibility I would be gone. but. Never knowing that it would be her that's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're incredible and the work that you're doing now for other families is just amazing that you can now put yourself on the other side of it and help these families, uh, you know, guide them through the, the worst time of their lives. I think that's such a gift that you're giving them. Oh, thank you. Like, I'm just so thankful that you know, you, you, you know, you trust us with Maddie's story and I'm so, so thankful that, you know, I didn't get to know her very well, but I had her in my life for a little bit and she was literally just a ray of sunshine. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I do have to say like the pictures that, that I have of her that, you know, I cherish and will cherish for the rest of my life are ones that those last ones that were taken by you. Yeah, they pop up always like on my news feed and I just yeah, it was yeah, she was she was such a joy to be around and she left such an impact I think on so many people's lives. Thank you. Yeah, I I'm so proud of you, Allison. <laughs> God, just like the work you're doing is so incredible and to turn such immense grief into such a gift to other people like Michelle was saying mm -hmm. is just is just incredible. And I think Maddie would be so proud of you. Absolutely. Oh, I sure hope so. I certainly worked very hard to, to get here. And like, so this year is the 10 year anniversary of Maddie passing away. And I started working at a hospice in September. And in my job interview, I told them, you know, it's taken me to nine years to fulfill Maddie's legacy. And here I am. So I certainly hope that this is where I'm meant to be and that I make a difference. And yeah, it's all because of Maddie. What are some ways that people that want to have an impact? What What are ways people can, I don't know, can they do? Is there somewhere you'd recommend that people could donate to in Maddie's memory on her 18th birthday or an organization that you really support? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I would definitely uh, would love to have people donate to Kids Cancer Care. Um, they've just been 100% behind us through all these 10 years. You know, we still attend family camp. We still go to bereaved camp. We They do a memorial service every year for families that have lost their kids to cancer. Like, they've just gone above and beyond to ensure that, you know, the journey's not over just because your child's not there anymore. So I would... I would love if families could mm-hmm. could donate towards them. That's so special. I w- I'm so glad we reconnected. I just wish it was, we'll have to like actually have drinks and not just yes. like sob the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really, I really love to share Maddie's story any chance I get, but I certainly thought the timing was really, really special with her, her birthday coming up. So thank you so much for, mm-hmm. for asking me to participate and, uh, you guys are doing such a good job on your podcast. I just feel honored to have been a part of it. Thank oh my you gosh, so much. Thank you so much. Thank All you right. so much, Allison. Have a good day. Okay, bye. Thanks. Bye. Michelle. Hi. I'm really glad we don't uh, record our outros immediately after the actual interview. <sighs> because we wouldn't have been able to speak. We literally, we could not speak after our interview with Allison. Yeah. So we are coming to you weeks after mm-hmm. um but yeah but this... still just as affected oh man Ooh. even yeah editing this episode recording this episode was mm. there was a lot mm-hmm. and thank you guys for listening thank you allison for sharing her story with us mm-hmm. and happy birthday maddie yeah yeah happy birthday i yeah, I, I can't even imagine what Allison is going through today listening or reading those letters. Mm-hmm. That, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh, the letters. Oh. I know. Reading the letters, I just, every time I look at a kid that I love, yeah. I, like, my brain can't fathom no. what this family went through and what so many families go oh, through. I know, I know. With this, and if we can just shed a little bit of light, you know, on it i think that's great and Mm -hmm. i said it in the beginning but i'm going to say it again um allison suggested if you know you want to sort of honor maddie on her 18th birthday and help carry on her legacy to check out kids cancer care i'll post links on instagram on facebook and on our show notes Mm -hmm. so wherever you're listening um if you've got the capacity to um you can make a donation or just share this episode Mm -hmm. you know i think it's 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 so informative. If you have friends who have lost children, um, you know, help them today or, or send them a message that you're thinking yeah. about them or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Just... Grief is not a stranger to us. And um, grief never ends. Yeah. Even 18, you know, 10 years later, it, yeah. it never ends. It's always there. So sometimes the people go away because time passes. Yeah. But, um, the people who've lost family members are still, are still struggling. Yeah. You know? So maybe just send them a message that you're thinking about them out of the blue today. And yeah. That would make a big difference, I think. Oof, my heart. Oof. Yeah. This was hard and this weekend's going to be hard and. Yeah. Everybody uh, send Michelle some extra no. love on Friday. <laughs> yeah. All these anniversaries that we don't want to call anniversaries. Ugh. What did Allison call it? Angelversary? Angelversary. Yeah. I think that's really nice. That's really nice. You know, because you do want to sort of like mark, commemorate the day that 
yeah. they left. And not only commemorate, but just re- like just to remember it or for other people in your life to remember that like mm-hmm. you you're probably going to have a terrible day that day. Yeah. And let's keep that date in mind so we can, you know, send some words of encouragement or yeah. something, right? Yeah. Just, just a to note to say that. That you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, Anyways. we hope you enjoyed the rest of your Tuesday and we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.